You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wurundjeri and Bunurong country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. This week we focus on a movement for sex worker rights and liberation. Victorian government currently has a bill to partially decriminalise sex work before state parliament. To help us understand what this means and why it leaves many sex workers behind, we hear from Dylan from Victoria's peer sex worker organisation, Fixing Collective. Later in the program, we hear from Peaches about some broader questions, including on sex work and anti-capitalism. But first, we hear from Dylan from Vixen Collective. So um, I'm a spokesperson for uh, for Vixen Collective, which is, as you said, Victoria's peer-only sex worker organisation. So we're the credentialed member organisation of Scarlet Alliance, a national peak body for sex worker organisations in Australia. Um, and I've been involved in Vixen Collective for a, a pretty long time now. Um, everybody involved in Vixen is a current or former sex worker. We're 100% by and for sex workers. To set the scene for listeners about the push for full decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria, could you first outline the current licensing system and in particular how it creates yeah, two tiers of sex workers, perpetuates harm and discrimination and stigma against sex workers? Yeah, so, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So in, in Victoria at the moment, um, we have a regulatory model called licensing, uh, which is also the model in Queensland. Um, and as you say, what licensing does is it essentially splits it splits the sex industry and it splits our community in two. So it creates a situation where um, a small number of sex workers and businesses um, are able to comply with uh, really onerous um, and dangerous restrictions that are, you know, are detrimental to our health and safety as sex workers. Um, and, uh, you know, probably much larger number of, of, of sex workers are forced to work outside of that framework um, because we're not able to comply uh, with those, with, with the laws, uh, which means that we are more likely to be brought into contact with police um, and are you know, essentially criminalised. And some parts of the community are particularly criminalised in a really overt way at the moment. So um, street-based sex work is explicitly criminalised under the licensing system. But I think something that it's really important for, for people listening to understand, because I think there's sometimes a bit of a mis- misconception about this, is that even, um, even sex workers who are working within the laws at the moment or those, you know, attempting to work within the laws, we're still really negatively uh, negatively impacted by them. So it's, it's a real kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where we're forced to make choices about our work, about our, you know, about our work and about our lives that are based on, um, you know, trying to, trying to fit into discriminatory and harmful laws rather than based on, you know, choices about, uh, you know, choices about what's best for our, for our, for our health and safety. Yeah, for sure. And there's a number of government agencies that surveil and control sex workers. Yeah, surveillance is a really big part of licensing as a model. So um, I think some good examples of that are the 
their approach to registration at the moment. So for private sex workers or sometimes people say independent sex workers, um, there's a there's a legal requirement to uh, register with the BLA, the Business Licensing Authority, um, as a sex worker. Uh, and what you have to do when you do that is provide a huge amount of personal information, um, including photo identification um, and, and your address and all of those things, um, as well as your, you know, associated work, you know, work identities and all of that. And you can never remove that information. So even if you, um, even, you know, if or when you stop doing sex work, uh, you can deactivate that, but it's, it's maintained as a historical record. So, you know, it's, it's for life. So it's permanent registration of sex workers. And it's not a publicly available record, but it is, you know, there are a number of, of bodies and um, authorised officers or officials who can access it. So, uh, yeah, it's really a huge problem and it is based on surveillance. It serves no purpose at all. I think another good example of surveillance um, is uh, the approach to um, the approach that licensing takes to sex worker um, sexual health. So in Victoria, sex workers were singled out in a way that you know no, no one else is in terms of our sexual health. So there's requirements around mandatory testing and things like that, which again, it's not based on evidence um, and it, it doesn't serve any purpose except to surveil and to to, to further stigmatise us. Um, you know, there's a really uh, overwhelming um, body of evidence, um, both, you know, within Australia and elsewhere um, about the, uh, you know, the positive, the, the positive health benefits of decriminalisation for sex workers um, and, you know, as opposed to the current approach. So I think it's also really important for people to understand that a lot of the ideas um, or anxieties that people might have um, you know, or or assumptions that people make about sex workers and our sexual health and our you know and our work in general, those are based in you know those are based in in stigmatizing stereotypes that are actually produced and exacerbated by the current laws. So this concept that you know sex workers are that we're you know vectors of disease essentially, and it's just not based in evidence. You know, sex workers in Australia have you know have rates of um, STIs, for example, that are uh, actually the same or lower than the general population. Um, sex workers are, you know, we're, we're um, really strong in, in peer-led health promotion. So there's, there's simply not a need for, for the laws that exist at the moment. Um, and, you know, that's just one, one facet of the licensing system that is a problem. But I think the important takeaway is that the, uh, yeah, the, the entire licensing system is a problem. So it, it's, yeah, all of the laws need to go. Before we go on to the current bill and it's, what it does and its flaws, um, would you first like to touch on some of the work like that's gone into even getting this on the agenda? If you don't mind, I might just say just a little bit more about, about what decriminalisation is, if that's okay. Because I think that, again, you know, again, this is an area where um, sometimes there are misperceptions um, about what it means. So, Decriminalisation means the removal of criminal and, and civil laws that are sex work specific. It means that sex work is regulated. Um, it, it, decriminalisation is a whole of government approach to regulating the sex industry using existing, you know, laws and standard business laws um, and other relevant laws that are uh, and regulations that apply to other kinds of work as well. And, and really importantly, um, when you have decriminalisation. 
the police don't have a role as regulators of the industry. And that's really, really crucial because that's the situation at the moment in Victoria is that in all parts of in all parts of the industry, so um, within the licensed, um, you know, licensed or legally compliant part of the industry, but also outside of that, the police are the are the are the key regulators and enforcers, really. So decriminalisation removes that. Um, and again, there's a there's a really a wealth of evidence to support um, the the benefits of decriminalisation for sex workers. It's the best practice, evidence based approach to regulating sex work um, that best supports our health and safety and our rights. It's been, you know, sex workers have been organising, advocating, lobbying, um, campaigning for decriminalisation in Victoria for a very, very, very long time, um, for decades. Victim Collective has been campaigning, we've been leading the campaign for decrim in Victoria uh, for uh, for a number of years now. And there's been you know, many, many different pieces of work that have gone into that. Um, I think there's work that's more publicly visible. Um, Victorian sex workers are, you know, we're, we we get out there. I think that um, people, a lot of people listening, some people listening, you know, may have seen some of the um, various, um, you know, actions and kind of visible protests that workers have done over the years to, um, I guess, push back against anti-sex work. Um, anti-sex work sentiment and organising in Victoria, and that's part of that's part of decrim organising too. In terms of some of the um, work that's been focused on getting to where we are now in terms of the bill, um, I think one thing I would highlight is um, the uh, the the work that went towards getting decrim on the Labor Party platform in Victoria. So um, that happened in May 2018 and that was that was off the back of many many years of work um to that point and that was a that was obviously a really crucial a crucial thing to have happen um and then of course you know of course the work continued after that so the, the Andrews government has a bill to partially decriminalize sex work now before parliament um but it's not full decriminalization would you like to outline the campaign around no sex worker being left behind yeah, so we're really excited by the government's commitment to the decriminalisation of sex work. Um, it's fantastic um, and really positive that the government is taking this step and has listened to sex workers. Um, you know, over the over the course of the of of the you know um, this year and also over the course of the review in 2020, um, and we do support the decrim bill um, and we we want it to pass. Uh, there are many positives within it. But it's really important to us that the benefits of decriminalisation are extended to all sex workers, to all parts of our community. And so for that to happen, the bill does need to be strengthened in a few areas to, as you say, ensure that no sex workers are left behind. So um, one of the issues is that the bill retains the criminalisation, some criminalisation of street-based sex work. So there will still be, um, there would still be criminal offences um, connected to street-based uh, street sex work. Um, and so that would mean that police would still retain um, a regulatory role. And uh, I, I think really the issue here, I guess, is that, you know, this process was started, uh, as I said, because the government um, the government did listen to sex workers um, and made this fantastic commitment and recognised that criminalisation is deeply harmful. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and also that decriminalisation is the best practice evidence-based model for regulating the sex industry and for um, supporting sex worker health and safety. So the issue is that the bill retains criminalisation of, of part of the sex worker community, which does undermine decriminalisation. So full decriminalisation of all forms of sex work is, is what we're calling for. Um, so it's really vital that that extends to all sex workers. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of other, other areas as well that um, uh, we feel need to be improved. And that, you know, and that sex workers um, in the community um, are, are calling for, for uh, those areas to be strengthened. So um, I mentioned the uh, uh, sex worker registration um, requirements earlier. So um, the bill would retain um, those those records um, as a historical as a historical record, um, and there's really there's really no need for that to happen. How can listeners support the campaign for Ducrim to pass in a strengthened bill? What sex workers in Victoria are asking um, allies um, and our community to do is to get head to um, head to vixencollective.org slash campaigns. Um, and what we're asking people to do is to let their uh, local Labor or um, Crossbench MP know that um, they should support Decrim, that they should support the bill, and that they should support it with the with the amendments that sex workers are calling for. So um, you can also uh, tweet at your MP. Um, you can email them. It's really important that uh, I guess it's just really important that people hear that decrim is essential and that it's essential that it's extended to all sex workers and that no sex worker is left behind. Thanks. Thanks, Dylan, so much for joining me on Community Radio. Thank you. You just heard from Dylan from Vixen Collective speaking on the campaign to fully decriminalise sex work in Victoria. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Next, we hear from Peaches on questions of the relationship of sex work to unions, sex work exclusionary feminism and fascism, community care, and on anti-capitalism. Thanks for joining me on Women on the Line Community Radio, Peaches. We're going to be touching on some broad questions intersecting with sex work, but first, would you like to tell listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So my name is Peaches. and I am a sex worker here on uh, Wurundjeri land. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And, yeah, I've been involved in, um, you know, aside from actual sex work, uh, sex worker rights activism for quite some time now. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peaches. Um, so there have been times when sex workers have been included in, like, miscellaneous workers' unions and stuff like that, but... They've largely been absent from the union movement. Why have sex workers been largely excluded? I mean, I think you could write a whole thesis on this, but uh, I think one of the biggest thing, things is really it comes down to this debate about whether or not sex workers work. So, uh, you know, if you, like me, believe that 
sex work is in fact work, then, you know, it's quite obvious that there is a place for sex workers within uh, the union movement. Um, but I think, you know, there is this really large um, and unfortunately pervasive school of thought that holds that sex work isn't actually work, um, but it's just paid rape. Um, and, you know, I think that this is an opinion um, that is held across the left and right of politics, although we do really tend to see it with more sort of like, um, I guess, people who tend more authoritarian on the political axis. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so sex workers have been, you know, have been fighting that for decades now. Um, and I do think that uh, the fact that, you know, we see now Vixen Collective's office is in uh Victorian Trades Hall. Um, you know, we have a Labor government bringing in a sort of poor man's decriminalisation. Um, you know, I hope that that debate about whether or not sex work is work and whether or not sex workers should have a place in the union movement is sort of coming to an end. Um, you know, I think in the next couple of years, we will see that sex work will be treated for the most part uh, like any other kind of work under Victorian law. Um, and, yeah, despite the fairly significant flaws, there's also a pretty huge deal at the same time. Cool. Thanks for that. And, yeah, even if the formal union movement has denied sex workers a place in it, there's always been lots of organising that has shaped the pressure today on de- for decriminalisation of sex work and all that stuff, um, I guess. Absolutely. For listeners that might not fully understand... What is a sex worker, exclusionary radical feminist? Yeah, so this is um, a particular type of feminism um, that believes that all, um, there's no such thing as sex work, that sex work is not actually work, that it is um, abuse. And uh, they believe that it should, the entire industry should be abolished. Um, and that even sex workers who say that they want to be doing sex work um, are just operating under false consciousness. What is the relationship between anti-sex work feminism, in inverted commas, and fascism? Yeah, so I guess as I mentioned before, I think that, you know, the feminists who take that really anti-sex work approach tend to be more on the authoritarian left. Um and I think that, yeah, it's worth it's worth remembering that a lot of these anti-sex work fam- feminists are, you know, I mean, they're almost always TERFs too. Here, Peaches mentions the acronym TERFs, which stands for Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminists. Um, and I think that the through line with this really is about the control of other women's bodies and... Um, I think that that's where they have that huge connect, that real connect with the far right. Um, you know, I think the you may remember Iris actually the Australian Summit Against Sexual Exploitation that was um, held at RMIT. The summit was held in 2018 at RMIT. But we saw feminists uh, like Carolyn Norma and Simone. I can't remember her last name from Normac share the share a platform with um, people like Political Posting Mama, who got famous for campaigning against safe schools. 
there was a, a senator from um, the Australian Conservatives whose name I also can't remember. I don't make a point of remembering the names of people I don't like. Um, but yeah, I remember I actually, I, I, and I think it may have been Simone I said it to, I was like, why, you know, how can you, how can you call yourself, you know, a, a leftist and progressive and everything and, you know, you share a stage with people like this and, you know, and she said even a broken clock is right twice a day. But the thing is, I, I'm really not convinced by that. And I think it's far more than like political expediency. I think that any savvy political operator would probably be concerned about the long-term impact of, you know, bolstering the platform of right-wing bullies. The reality is that fundamentally, these are groups who have really closely aligned or fairly closely aligned goals. I mean, you have both feminists um, and and um, the far right who want um, stronger borders, you know, and on the right, there's that protecting us from migrants, you know, and on the left, it's it's about, or the, you know, it's about protecting migrants. And, you know, I think history's shown us you should be pretty sceptical of any, you know, uh, white person trying to protect or, or help migrants. Um, but it's it's probably a trap. But yeah, I think um, they share this um, this belief in um, strengthening the state, um, in increased policing. That's right. So you're getting to, I guess, the, the racism is sort of the big link. One of the as long as the anti-sex work oppression as well. Absolutely. I, I think it's the, you know, I think that that's kind of like the root of it is um, this feeling that it is, or this belief that it is, um, it is right for them to control other people's bodies and movements um, through state apparatus like borders and policing. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. So, sort of now taking us through the pandemic and it's been a difficult time what has community care looked like for you and the communities you're in in the pandemic i have to say i've been pretty blown away um, by some of the community care and and support um, that i have witnessed and been a part of um throughout the pandemic you know from like the big things like Scarlet Alliance and all the member organisations, you know, raising, I think it was close to $200,000 in the end. Um, that was all distributed to uh, vulnerable sex workers who didn't have access to um, the uh, government COVID relief. Um, you know, even on a, you know, on a smaller level, uh, you know, I saw so many people looking out for each other and, you know, buying groceries for someone and, or, um, you know, having little like Zoom meetings and stuff like that to try to keep people's um, spirits up while we were all feeling quite uh, alone and over it. Um, you know, so that I think has been really heartening. Um, I have to say, you know, for me, I'm entirely burnt out. <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of, and a lot of workers, um, you know, across the community sector and a lot of, um, I think a lot of people who are, uh, you know, volunteering in community organisations, um, you know, providing food and care and all of that for their communities are just um, are so burnt out because it has been a really, really hard year, um, a hard couple of years. Um, and, 
yeah, I think, you know, it's, um, I think things are going to continue being quite difficult and we need to keep up that, that level of community care. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be tough. So sort of coming to a big question around social movements in the future, why have many sex workers, particularly black, brown, trans sex workers been central to many anti-capitalist movements such as queer politics, harm reduction to police and prison abolition? And what does that suggest about building an anti-capitalist future? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is really because, um, you know, sex workers are really like copying the brunt of capitalism in many ways. Um, I think a lot of um, sex workers are sex workers because, you know, you've been excluded from the mainstream economy from one for one reason or another. I mean, you know, yes, there are those who s- simply do it for the thrill of it, but the overwhelming majority are there because, you know, that was, um, you know, the best option for them. Um, so I think there's that. But I think sex workers also, like, in order to survive in um, an industry like this, you know, you really have to um, develop a really strong sense of community and a really strong sense of solidarity um, because you cannot survive as a sex worker not long-term, you know, completely um, completely on your own. So I think that um, already a lot, of the, a lot of the things that sort of make... Um, social movements really strong um, are kind of present in, in sex worker communities already that make that leap to kind of uh, leading social movements uh, quite easy. Um, and I think also, you know, I mean, you mentioned sort of um, harm reduction, police and prison abolition and, and all of these sorts of things. And I think um, sex workers have really been um, uh, leaders in those movements because uh I guess at the heart of sex worker rights is this really strong ethos of, um, of bodily autonomy, um, you know, and this idea that everyone um, has a right to to choose um, what to do with their own body. And it's, you know, it's quite a simple idea, but it's really what it's all about. Um, and I think that that's a through line through the harm reduction and queer politics and police and prison ab- abolition and yeah, so I mean, as far as what this suggests about um, an anti-capitalist future, I don't know. Listen to your local sex worker. Thanks for joining me on Community Radio Pictures. Thanks so much for having me, Iris. You just heard from Pictures speaking on many broad questions and ending on the intersection of sex work and anti-capitalism. That's all for the program today. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Iris Lee. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.